Father, thank you for the great privilege we have to look at your word. Lord, as you have given your word by your spirit, we pray that you, by that same spirit, would open up your word to our hearts, that we might live it out in our lives for your glory and honor. Amen. I'm sorry you have to hear me after having to hear me every week, but such as it is. Um, So, 1 Samuel 17, here's a... Here's a really key that you don't have to, of course, keep up with this word, but I'm just putting it up here for. Um, this is a Hebrew word that I think is key to the meaning of First Samuel and what it's really about. Uh, this word, the H is kind of like Chava Nagila, Nagila. You know that Chava, that Haraf, um, and it's the word that's used six times. In this passage, uh, that means defy or defied. And you'll see it one time used in uh, David talks about it as the word reproach. That word reproach is the same word. So six times it's used. So it starts off in verse 10 with uh, Goliath defying the armies of God. And so the drama unfolds. There's this tense drama of Goliath. And then suddenly, and then there was David, right? And you hear about David, and you hear about David, and you hear about David, you hear about David. Then there's this key word that uh, Lauren talked about earlier in our meeting where it says when he was on the battle, he heard him. He heard Goliath, right? And finally, David speaks, right? Verse 26, a key, key passage. David finally says something, this long introduction. And what does he say? Two times there he refers to this. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and take away the reproach? There's the word, the defiance, or you might say the degradation, the degrading of God. That's what defying is. He's degrading God. Who's going to take away this degradation? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should uh, defy the armies of the living God? So... There's three times, and then uh, the, uh, or no, no, I'm sorry, right before that, the the soldiers themselves say it. So you get it from Goliath, then you get it from the soldiers, and then David says it two times there, then David says it to uh, Saul, right, and then finally to Goliath himself. So it comes full circle that he finally gets to the one who originally said it and said, you defied the armies of the living God. Now, by this time, things are mounting up and David's now confronting him and you're beginning to think, Goliath, you should not have said that. You know, <laughs> That's the feel of this because you realize David is the hero. We're going to hear, we're going to see Goliath taken care of because he has defied the armies of the living God. It's not just the armies, it's not Israel, but it's because they belong to the living God, right? So this defiance, this degrading of God is what drives him. That's why he says to Saul, the Lord who delivered me will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine because he's defied the armies of the living God. 
You know, he's going to take care of this because he's defied the arms of the living God. And when uh, Goliath says, your flesh is going to be fed to the birds and the beasts. No, no, your flesh is going to be because you defied the armies of the living God. Don't you understand the way this is going to come out? You can't do that and you're not, it's not going to be left like that. You are going down because you defied. So um, that's why the Lord will deliver you into my hand, verse 46. And that's why he says in verse uh, 46, all of this is going to be done so that the earth may know that there's a God in Israel and so that the kahal, the assembly uh, of Israel, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. And, of course, part of the glory of God is emphasized by this three times that it's, he comes on the field. He says, you came with sword and spear. I come in the name of God. So it's his name. It's his glory that I come in. I'm here to make known his name, see? Um, and and the without the sword and spear emphasizes that, that it's not me. It's not my power. It's not my strength. This is God that I'm holding forth here. Um, and, of course, that's repeated uh, that it says, the Lord saves not with sword and spear. So you came with sword and spear. I didn't. I come in God's name. He's going to show that he saves not with sword and spear. And then finally in verse 50, uh, this just I love this underscoring. He prevailed with a sling and with a stone. You know, And then he emphasizes, by the way, just to remind you, there was no sword in the hand. I mean, you know that, you know, but you just under, you see how important it is for the uh, the narrator. Uh, just a final reminder: there was no sword in the hand of David. This was all of God's power. So everything about this is just completely oriented to the defiance of God and then the vindication of God. That's what this passage is about: that God is defied, God is dishonored, God is degraded. And the action of David restores the honor of God and brings honor to, uh, uh, to God. <clears throat> now, here are my uh, two questions I want to ask because we're going to really focus not so much... I mean, that's, that's the, uh, the passage, I think, in its essence. And I know you guys have really dealt with a lot of the, intricacy, the intricacies of the passage in your study. But I want to ask this question. Uh, first, how did God glorify His name in Jesus Christ, David's greater son? And I hope, I hope that you'll see Christ came to do the same thing David came to do. That is, to vindicate the name of His Father and to glorify the name of His Father against how it was being blasphemed and defied and degraded in the world. Okay, And guess what? He calls you and me to glorify his name among those who are degrading the name of God. That is the whole of your calling, is to, to live out that and to manifest God's glory. All right. <clears throat> so uh, a key passage uh, in this then for Christ, and we've referred a whole lot about uh, to this passage, but um, in a lot of teaching that we do. But in John 12, uh, this is verses 27 and 28. So uh, you can turn there if you want uh, or just listen either way. Um, my soul, Jesus says, my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? 
Father, save me from this hour? And, of course, the hour is the hour of his death. Is that what I'm going to say? Save me from this hour, not face this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. This is why I'm here, is this hour of my death. This is the whole point of my life, my appearance here, for this hour. And then he says, considering his death, and and of course the resurrection, they're all bound up together. Father, glorify your name. The voice came out of heaven. I both glorified it and will glorify it again. So he he is glorifying, he is vindicating God's name. He is bringing glory to God as David brought glory to God in his context. Jesus was there to bring glory to God. And he says, my whole purpose, my whole point is this death. This is the hour I've come to so that God would be glorified. And then isn't it interesting that in that very context, after the voice is spoken, I will glorify it. This is exactly what I'm about to do. I'm going to glorify my name and vindicate my name through you. the people respond, was that thunder? Was it angel? Jesus says, his force has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Then judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world would be cast out. Notice, he is glorified. He glorifies the Father in his sacrificial death, and the ruler of this world is cast out. So our greater, the greater son of David, instead of, Killing, he does kill the enemy, all right? And the God of this world is cast out. But how does he do it? He does it through sacrifice. He does it by dying himself, which David didn't do in that case. Magnificent manifestation of God's glory is is had in the death of the hero, in the death of Christ. But that's how the God of this world is cast out. That's why. That's how the great enemy that stood behind Goliath is real. The you know the essence of evil. He is cast out by sacrifice, and this is what glorifies God. God is the kind of God who uses His greatness to spend Himself lavishly for His people. That's who God is. That's the honor and glory of God that vindicates Him, and. So, uh, other passages like John thirteen thirty one, John seventeen one, speak of this this glory, and then in in further commentary, this glory is given some specific reference as to God's character. Though His righteousness is shown forth, His holiness is shown forth, but uh, in the great John three sixteen, of course, God so loved that He gave His Son. This is the glory that is shown. And John really talks about it in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, in this is love that God gave his son. So this manifestation, this glorifying of God, particularly glorifies his love uh, to the world, glorifies the nature of God that he uses his power uh, to spend himself for others. And so we can call the gospel... In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, we call the gospel the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's our gospel. That's our good news. It's the glory of God, but it's the glory of God shown in Christ who is God's image. Isn't that amazing 
as Jesus, and we, 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 we try to stress this so many times, that the love that you see of Christ pouring self, himself out is exactly, in a sense, what the Father would do because he's manifesting the life of the Father. He's manifesting the Father's love. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is, this is it. This is God. This is what God is like. And so the gospel itself is this gospel about the glory of Christ who would sacrifice himself, and he is indeed the image of God. So that's our whole gospel. Um, so God glorifies himself in the person of Jesus Christ, um, David's greater son, and then commends to us this gospel which will uh, manifest God's glory in the world. So uh, most of what we want to spend our time in on is then how does God glorify his name in us, his people, right? That's how he glorified his name in Jesus Christ, David's greater son. And I think it's important for us to see the particular New Testament uh, fulfillment of that uh, in the person of Christ. And as we'll talk about later, this will have a final manifestation in Christ's removal of all of our enemies. So this blow, the, the God of this world is cast out, is a first crippling blow to evil that will have its final manifestation as the absolute removal of evil from this earth, and it'll be gone. So in that sense, Jesus will fully behead evil, and it will be gone. And, you know, what's so incredible about that passage, I I love this uh, just tucked away thing that this incredibly elaborate description of armor, you know, begins with, and you're just shaking your boots, thinking about this, and then at the end, and, and David put the armor in his tent. <laughs> it's like, no big deal. And so Christ, in the end, in his great power, he'll just tuck away and destroy all evil, and it'll be gone, just like that. It, it's not a big deal for Jesus. He's going to just take it away in the end. It's gone. So we, we want to you know, have a feel for both aspects of this, that we're delivered from the evil of, of generated by Satan himself toward us, and it has its first manifestations in our lives, and it has a final manifestation um, in the removal of evil from the whole world. But how does God then glorify his name in us as people? I hope that you'll catch this, that the, the bent of the passage on... God's name being degraded and therefore our needing to honor it in the midst of that degrading spells out your life and my life. His name... Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's why you need these men to run these electronic things. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing up here. <clears throat> um,
So, uh, here's, here's my uh, contention or principle. What he does in us and what he does through us is the primary way he glorifies his name now. Okay? What he does in you and what he does through you. So, he's bringing to fruition his work on the cross in us and in more and more people through us. Okay, so this is how he glorifies his name. Um, if we are concerned about his name not being honored, his name being defied, if we're concerned that he be adored and honored and enjoyed, then we will be about manifesting his grace in our own lives and spreading that grace to more and more people by word and deed. We are to care more about the glory of his name than life itself. This is your definition of life, that I am passionate that he be known, that I'm passionate that people admire him, right? I think for some reason the word admire is helpful to me there, you know, that, that they see and love and, and catch who he is and become in awe of him. That's what we want for people. That's that's what we long for, for God. Um, we, we, we long it for His glory because we, we can't help but, but want to see His, Him manifest. I'll tell you, one of the things that keeps me going in the face of seeing you know, atheistic um, and just general scientific uh, denial of God as Creator is to know finally in that last day they really will see that He is the Creator of all things. It's the only thing that keeps me sane sometimes, you know. So, but it's that idea that He must be honored, He must be glorified. Now, so let's talk about first uh, what He does in us and among us, and then we'll talk about what He does uh, through us. the primary thing, of course, that he does in us is to manifest his own character so that the glory of Christ becomes, uh, the glory of his character in sacrificing himself becomes the glory of our character. So, John 13, 34 and 35, very well known. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, they will know that you're my disciples. By this, you'll glorify By this you'll show that you belong to me, that you are like me, and you will exhibit me to others, you see. That's the whole point, exhibiting the glory of God by exhibiting his love. I love how he puts it in John 15, 12, simply, this is my commandment. Love one another as as I loved you. This is it. You know, manifest my love, manifest my glory. So we're to exhibit that same sacrificial love in all of our relationships. Ephesians 5, 2, the same thing, uh, to love one another as Christ has loved you. Now notice these passages and how uh, they constantly talk about the glory of God uh, being expressed by our our salvation. First, Romans fifteen seven. Accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. See, He accepted you, He received you, and made you a part of Himself, so that God would be glorified by that. So that God would be honored. You'd see how great this God is that He causes sinners to be accepted. 
you, you, I'm sure most of you know that in Ephesians 1, three different times as he's describing the salvation that God brings for his people, he says, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of his grace. All of this, God is just saying, this is how great I am. This is how magnificent I am. This is my glory that's to speak out uh, to those who defy me. Philippians 1, 11, he talks about being pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. So your own obedience, your own increase in blamelessness and having the fruit of righteousness is to the glory and praise of God. Not only that he will do this for you, but then you reflect his goodness and grace in your life. You reflect his righteousness. When Paul is talking about mercy gifts for Jerusalem in 2 Corinthians eight nineteen, he says, this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, right? And then 1 Peter four eleven, when he's talking about exercising gifts, he says, exercise these gifts so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In 2 Thess 1, 11, he says, uh, speaking about your calling and fulfilling every desire in you for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. So, summary statement. I love the uh, ascription of praise. To him be glory in the church. Right? There's the ascription of praise. O Lord, may you be glorified in your people. May we uh, manifest your greatness and goodness, both in how you redeem us and in the character that's shown as a result of that. And so he can say in Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. That's what you're created for. And that's your dignity, right? Everything that God does in you is to this end that he manifests your glory. And everything you do in obedience is this, to this end that you enhance his glory and adorn his glory. Um, <clears throat> so all of your obedience, your dying to self, your ministry in the body, overcoming fears, developing a prayer life, meditating on the word, being used in suffering, all of it should be a part of this longing aching passion that God would be more and more admired. Now, that can fuel so much more obedience in our lives if we allow it. Oh, Lord, may you be more and more admired by the way I think, the way I speak to everyone, to my family, to my husband, uh, to me, to my wife. Um, so, uh, I, and I would throw in here... Uh, underscores the importance of the third commandment. Uh, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, The importance that I not be one who is desecrating God's name. I not be one who's defaming or de- defying God's name, degrading God's name. That's the, the very third commandment. It's part of, you know, Worship only the Lord and don't worship idols and don't take his name in vain and manifest his name, uh, make known his name. So the prayer could be, Lord, enable me not to trash your name, but to exalt and adorn, to bring luster to your name, to make you attractive and glorious by my reflection of your character. And an encouragement here is that if God is acting 
uh, is he's promoting his name by your character. What a prayer tool, right? Lord, glorify your name by helping me overcome this anger, this jealousy, this neglect of love, this lack of passion here in the Lord. Lord, your name is at stake. I think we said this in a sermon recently, but uh, it's a wonderful encouragement to you as, as uh, we read in Psalm 23, lead me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake, Right? I get to go and uh, I can ask him, Lord, lead me in the paths of righteousness because your name is at stake. Pardon me, Psalm 25, 11, for your name's sake. Lead and guide me, Psalm 31, 3, for your name's sake. So, you know, fundamental prayer, Lord, seek your glory by conforming me to the glory of Christ. And you think, how could he not do that? Is he not going to act for his own glory by bringing your character into conformity to Christ? I think so. I think that's the whole point of everything, right? So pray with expectancy. Let's, let's not either make excuses or be in despair over our sin struggles, right? Those are our kind of two ways. I'll make excuses. I'll play off. I won't face it. I'll, I'll run from it. Or I'm just in total despair over it. Um, no, His glory, He is acting for His glory and He is recreating you to establish that glory because He doesn't want His name defied and He wants to use you to cause more and more people uh, to embrace His name. And so that brings us to this last and really important part of this, what He does through us, okay? And that this perhaps, though I think what we've said is critical, obviously, because it's our character uh, that is going to make known that that glory and, and win people, uh, coupled with the the, uh, the proclamation. So you can't separate the two. But then we need to think about it specifically and how uh, what he's doing through it. So Second Corinthians four fourteen. This is a beautiful way that it's put. All things are for your sake, so that this is. 2 Corinthians 4.14 All things are for your sakes so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. That's, That's really Paul's whole life right there. Hey, spreading the grace to more and more people so that more and more gratitude abounding to more and more glory of God. That's what we're about. I would suggest to you that's the comparable modern-day version of David vindicating the, the glory of God. and Because uh, all of these people abounding to the glory of God and giving thanks because of God t- God's grace touching their lives, they go from people who are defying God to people who are honoring God. They become worshipers, you see, in this. Um, so Paul can say in Romans 15, 8 and 9, that Christ became a servant to Israel to confirm the promises to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That, that really sums it up, right? We want to see God, uh, the Gentiles glorify God for his mercy. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter 2, which is... A wonderful, exact statement in our context of people going from those who defy 
to those who glorify. Okay, it really gives us, even in a in a context of suffering, even in a context of violent opposition. Verse twelve of First uh, Peter two: Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evil doers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, that is our counterpart, right? They're defying the armies of the living God. And what do we do? We live out the sacrificial love of Christ, and we continue to do so even though we're suffering, even though we're, we're losing so much. And through that process, as, as Christ manifested the glory and love of God, we manifest the glory and love of God. And what's the result? They will see our good deeds and glorify God. And it's interesting, uh, this, the, uh, a sister passage to this is, of course, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. that talks about salt and light, right? That you're the light of the world. Interesting that this follows a passage that talks about persecution. So that Jesus will not talk about salt and light without talking about it. It's going to come in the midst of persecution. This is a dying to glorify God. This is a living out of the sacrifice of Christ and following in the footsteps of Christ's sacrifice. And in so doing, we will manifest uh, God's glory and and they will follow him. Um, And that's why I think that Peter can say uh, later in 4.14 that... When you suffer, the spirit of glory and of Christ rests on you. Spirit of Christ, spirit of glory. This is God's glory being manifested in your life. You are a temple of glory. What? In the midst of suffering? Yes, because that's where Jesus greatly manifested the glory of God. He said it, right? On the eve, this is the time that I've come to. Now, Father, glorify your name. And he was glorified in his death. We will be glorified as we sacrifice for others. So, uh, I love Piper's statement. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. What we're trying to do is to keep increasing those who glorify and worship God, who never did glorify and worship God, who defied God and resisted God and hated God. We want to see them admire God. That's why missions, so that more and more people will admire God. It's the same passion in a different context that David had. He just, God cannot be defined like this. I've, I've, I'm, I so value the honor of God. And, of course, it has a radically different manifestation in our context. But we have to see that's the same heart uh, that we must have. Piper also writes this, God is pursuing with omnipotent passion a worldwide purpose of gathering joyful worshipers for himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He has an inexhaustible enthusiasm for the supremacy of his name among the nations. Therefore, let us bring our affections into line with this. Okay, Our affections need to match God's affections that he be made supreme, that other more and more people worship him. And for the sake of his name, let us renounce the quest for worldly comforts and join his global purpose. So... Um, 
there are some other things. Let me just end with this. Uh, in Numbers 14, it's, it's very interesting. There, uh, it's right on the heels of the spies going into the land of Canaan. And, you know, 12 men went to spy on Canaan. Uh, 10 were bad, 2 were good, right? We do that with the kiddos. I almost forgot my fingers there, okay? Um, <clears throat> so they persuaded the, uh, Israel not to go into the land. And it was a heinous, horrible thing after all that God had done, right? Delivering them out of Egypt, all the uh, plagues, and here they're turning their back on God. So at first, he's just going to wipe them all out. Moses intercedes, and God says, okay, I'm not going to wipe them out. But I love the, the feel, the, the energy right here where God says, but as surely as I live, they are not going to live. They're going to die in the wilderness, this generation. They're going to die, and certainly they did. But this is interesting. He doesn't only say, as surely as I live, because we're kind of used to that. As as I live, God says, as as sure as I live, this is going to happen. He also says, as surely as I live, and as the uh, world, let me give the exact phrase, and um, as surely as I live, and as surely as all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, these people are not going to live. See? I mean, as surely as he lives, you can put right alongside of that, that's how sure it's going to be that the earth's going to fill, be filled with his glory. That's what he's about. We better be about that. Because that's what he's going to be about. And either in some way we're caught up with making known his glory or in that final day, as Paul says in Second Thessalonians 1, when he comes to be glorified in his saints for those that refused his glory, they will be shut away from the glory of his might. And I don't mean that. I mean, they're not shut away from the glory of his punishment, but the beneficial glory of his strength is gone. So let me just suggest to you that this glory, living for this glory, is your life, It's your satisfaction, it's your fulfillment, it's your joy, it's your energy, it's your adventure, it's your beauty, is this glory. Well, let's pray. Oh Lord, our very humanity is bound up in enjoying you, honoring you, adoring you, admiring you, being lost in you, delighting in you, and Lord, making that known in this world. May we, our evangelism, really fundamentally be, like the psalmist says, come and magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. O Lord, continue to restore our fundamental humanity, which is that we uh, love and adore our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.